Boy, this is going to feel like Groundhog Day. We had to retape the whole first half of the show because otherwise, you wouldn't hear Kevin. But depending on who you ask, that might actually be a good thing. Hello, can you hear me? Opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Okay. Here we go on this Sunday evening, January 31st, 2021. This is episode 34, version 2 of the Anime Roundtable, version 2. Good evening from Six Points, 10 minutes south of Anime North in the western tip of Toronto. Mike Nicholas, joined as usual by James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg. And we're going five again around the table, and we're doing this on consecutive weeks. If you like any of what you're hearing, holler if you hear. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our email address. Twitter and Instagram at AnimeRoundtable. AnimeRoundtable.com for show notes and past episodes. And we'll just mention the Discord, Twitch, and YouTube channels. Since they actually do exist, even though there's nothing in them. but Try and subscribe to them and you'll get notice notifications when something finally shows up there. And please don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever. And if you could, give us a good review while you're there. Although, we have some explaining to do tonight. This, uh, that intro doesn't have the same punch that it did last night does it we can bring it up again <laughs> well yeah we, yes well. I, I have a oh, very hey. interesting question mike how can you do the first part in the future is it possible it is uh, now well with good editing sure and let's not let's not forget guys joe biden's president now so anything's possible yeah, I think I think uh, Kevin. Are Garnett's you saying the Raptors can win a game? I mean, not not they're, that. They're up right now. <laughs> we're we're bringing this discussion to the moon, just like GameStop. Oh yes. Well, okay. First of but all, I heard everyone's winning on GameStop, AMC, and BlackBerry. I'm not. Next, and, uh, and I don't have any positions in them, so I'm not. And silver, for that matter. Oh man, the rally on silver is amazing. <laughs> okay. Let's backtrack because we kind of have to explain what happened and why this is uh, being referred to as version two of episode 34 now. Well, a whole series is version two as well, but this particular episode is being redone. So earlier this week, I got an email from Zencaster. We taped this show on a free version of Zencaster. And if you're in any way of a podcaster, you know of various services that can 
record and keep online and etc. Put them together and you can just download off their website. Like there, there's various recording services now since, you know, the podcasting phenomenon has evolved over the 15 some odd years the concept has been around. So we use Zencaster right now. And for now, we're using a free version. So we can record through their website. And then when I'm ready, I could come back and download the individual voice tracks of each of our participants, myself and the others, individually. And then that's how I stitch it together to make the episodes you're hearing. Earlier this week, I was given an offer to try the beta version of an updated version of Zencaster, which will incorporate webcams. And I took it in and we decided to try it with the intention, maybe we could stitch together a YouTube version of the podcast. And for reference, Zencaster also has some pretty extensive editing editing suites but really you have to subscribe to that everything has a cost right but i can download the raws and if i have the proper software i can work on both the movies and the audio i have GarageBand, but i don't have final cut pro on my mac here so the james and i took it for a test run and we realized pretty quickly that we're not going to put out a video version of this podcast anytime soon. But we have made reference to it and you'll hear a reference of a possible video version throughout this episode. But we'll fast forward now to Saturday and we taped the episode again in the beta version of the new Zencaster. And we thought it was going fine. Then we finished the first part. And one thing that happens after we finish each segment is our voices are then processed and then put onto the server. Onto Zencaster's server for me, once again, to be able to download down. But not mine. Well, yeah, and that's where it got complicated. Each of the individual participants can also download their their voice file in case something happens, and then they can and then we can I can arrange for it to be sent over. But that wasn't an option with Kevin's voice. So, well, we couldn't hear Kevin. Or if I was to put this up right now, you wouldn't be able to hear anything Kevin said, uh, because uh, we don't have. We don't have any of Kevin's Kevin's voice file from last night from that first segment. Because the beta version does not work on mobile at this moment. And yeah, yes. And disclosure, Kevin has been participating in the pandemic series episodes mainly through his phone. And yes, the beta probably isn't optimized to properly deal with using Android at this point, or probably any phone for that matter. 
and I, it might have been said so and uh, said as much in the notes, but nonetheless, we are still attempting to recover that file, and we have contacted Zencaster support, but uh, we're not holding our breath, so we just decided to retape what would have been the first segment right now. So to the listeners out there who are going to be hearing this, here we'll give you the rundown. We are taping this first segment of episode 34 right now on Sunday evening, January 31st. The second segment, which we'll allude to throughout this, this part of the taping, the second segment was taped last night, Saturday evening, January 30th. And we're not running away from the technical difficulties. If you know the history of this podcast, you know we acknowledge whenever shit happens. And it just becomes part of the regular banter and maybe part of the regular legend of this show. If, mind you, this show is a legend only in my own mind. <laughs> but we've always we've always acknowledged whenever these things have happened and really this is the first this is the first major one that i could really think of we're all about radical transparency that's, here sorry we're all about radical transparency here yeah we're well we're all for it i mean heavens knows we don't get it in a lot of other aspects in our lives if you, uh, if you release the episode in a couple days, you can uh, call it the Groundhog's Day special. Oh, yes, that's right. That's we'll, what I was thinking it's likely of, to come uh, out. That's right. That, that's actually a good theme because, ironically, this, is, this episode will probably find itself online on either February 1st or February 2nd. So it might be perfect, actually. It'd be Just like Bill Murray driving a groundhog off the cliff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, ironically, this might be a Groundhog's Day episode. That might actually work. Either that or Zencaster, uh, the beta is censoring the mobile uh, users, right? Oh, boy. Kevin's going to be too hot for uh, the internet. Well, that's the explanation. And, well, as I said, you'll, we'll, the other thing is we can't really run away from the glitch, even if we wanted to, because we refer to that same glitch throughout the second segment. And you'll hear us talk about that. But in any event, we're more or less going to try and talk about the same main topics we talked about when we taped this last night. So uh, bear with us as best you could. Although I think we're going to skip the GameStop talk tonight. Really? But it was so fun. (laughs) Okay, what do you want to say about it? Because that's obviously the big news. Get get it now, guys. Get it now. Going to the moon. Get it now. (laughs) Okay, I would so suggest you consult a financial expert and yes, probably that, that's your true, research. That too. <laughs> Those who don't have lots of disposable income. Nope, nope. Don't worry about it, guys. Just sell your houses. Get in it right now, man. You need, you need all the money in the market right now, guys. Come don't on. listen to Muhammad if you don't have money that you can afford to lose. So, hey, guys, your parents probably own a house. Just take a second mortgage. You guys got this. Oh, my <laughs> If Actually, you're really, if you're really going to jump in, you need to have your exit strategy in place. You need to know yep. when you're going to sell, whether you're up or down. Don't so worry, guys. I'll never go down. <laughs> Kevin's speaking like somebody who works at a bank, and I think he does. 
Mo, should I listen to Eli Elon Musk? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> and I hope no one, and that's not to insult any people with autism, but that's how uh, some people in Wall Street bets are being referred to as. As what? Uh, some people will call themselves autists on Wall Street bets. Okay. Well, that community has been questionable, to say the least, too, from what we've heard. So, mm-hmm. Well, we've heard different versions and different takes about the whole GameStop rally, the Reddit rally, I think it's being called, or the Reddit revolution. And that's why uh, we talked about it. I think before that kind of tied into what we've talked about before with uh, Matt Alt's book, uh, The Final Chapter, Pure Invention, and other online communities and stuff like that, and how they can affect the real world. Well, yeah, this is this is a very this is very four chan and two chan ish, so to speak. Like Reddit's become like another version of it in in its own way. And I know we talked about. Those boards being the home of various pranks, although obviously it could uh, devolve and you can ha- end up with uh, something a little bit more, well, divisive, so to speak. But, you know, we've kind of gone on uh, about that in the past as well. And even though we've heard things about it being for Joe Schmo, as many have said, likely the people who made the most money are probably the Goliath. So all it was, as one headline had said this week, it was Goliath versus Goliath, with uh, David being the fig leaf. Yeah, that's the other thing. Um, there's this belief that it could have been just hedge funds really squaring off against each other with retail traders, the small guys, acting as proxies for somebody for one side. Right. That's That's been a common belief in it all. And I'm talking as somebody who's just, like, I'm starting to learn a little bit about investing and trading on the on stock markets. But I'm, but like Kevin hinted, I've only put up as much as I was willing to lose in that scenario. So, which right now, as somebody who's uh, not presently working in the pandemic, isn't the greatest amount. But the only way I was going to learn anything was to put a little bit of stuff at risk and that's what i what i've done and i will tell you this much the i think the major indices at the close of friday whether it's the nasdaq or the dow jones or the tsx here in toronto um and correct somebody could correct me if i'm wrong i heard that they were down two percent for the day right the Trading account that I opened up earlier in the week dipped by that much. I looked at my uh, uh, at my bank statements and my other uh, long term savings. They're down two percent as well, and and I think much of it or many of those analysts said it was probably because many of those short sellers, many of those hedge funds. Feeling the uh, short squeeze, as they as they like to call it, who got burned on shorting GameStop, had to sell off a handful of their other assets to be able to cover their losses. Hence, why the uh, rest of the broader market got hit on Friday. Yeah, now's a good time to buy whatever blue chip stocks or ETFs that you were already putting money in because they're on sale right now. 
mm-hmm. might be able to get he might be able to pick up a couple shares. But yeah, Reddit uh, they did what they want, but of course, if certain people caught on quick. Uh, when it was lower, they probably made their buck and are uh, out of there for uh, GameStop, AMC, BlackBerry, and any others they tried to create into a meme stock. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future because obviously uh, the SEC and others are probably going to be on the lookout, right? As the, the world continues to evolve, right? The really smart people, the ones who bought early, if if they were smart, they would have already sold their initial buy and some profit on top and just ride on with the rest of their earnings and just see where it goes some people have done that i'd say a good portion the smart money is gone and stuff like that and there was one nice person i heard that was supposedly in texas he took his earnings that he had made off of that and supposedly bought all these switches to donate to a children's hospital in texas hey. yeah all the same thing as well there's uh, another of... oh sorry go ahead mohammed I was gonna say a lot of people are donating their uh, their profits on this, man. I mean, that's why you gotta ride it to the moon, guys. Just get it now. Uh, there was one person <laughs> who works for a hospital. He got permission to have two patients have their life saving uh, heart surgeries paid for pro bono. Have all the work done pro bono. And uh, there's another guy who's using his proceeds to pay for his sister's uh, Lyme disease treatment. So there is some good coming out of this, for sure. Yeah, so and then, the positive, and then on the, right? It's not all. Yeah, and right. then on the other end of the spectrum, you uh, see this tweet from a, from a youngster saying, I've dumped my father's entire life savings into this, oh, and God. he doesn't know like about it. Man. <laughs> well, you know what that makes me think of? That one guy that put all his put a good portion of his money into Bitcoin and then he forgot his password. And so he has all this money and he can't get it. And he's searching for, for, I think he's going to try and search a dump for the uh, password because he said it was on a hard drive. He threw away. Uh, The other one, the other more heartwarming version story I heard is uh, I heard a woman gifted a few shares. I don't know how many. I think it was like a oh, it's her kid, yeah, or nephew or something. Yeah, yeah. Holidays for Kwanzaa. Yeah, it was yeah. like it was like sixty shares or something. No, sorry, it was sixty dollars worth of shares, and then now it's like three thousand dollars worth of shares because you know. Yeah. Assuming he, assuming he's he's cashed out. But, I mean, yeah. he, he should he shredded it to the moon. Everyone, ride this shit to the moon. Come on, guys, <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Right. Anyway, oh, good luck, Mohammed. Yeah, wish you. Yeah, and, uh, well, he, I, I said, tell you, Mohammed's uh, dream coach is probably guiding him to the moon, right? He's I'm not going to leave. That I'm on a one-way trip to like that place up there where the rich people live. <laughs> <laughs> on your private jet? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, one other thing that also fixed up from last night is Mohammed didn't properly turn on his microphone. So when he was talking in that original version of the first segment. We only heard him through his, through the camera on his webcam. Yeah, guys. So, I mean, when they say beta, they really mean beta. Yeah. It, it, it was just, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So what was our first segment uh, about, Mike? Do you remember? Yes. Yeah, so well, it was something you did, James. <laughs> and I guess it's a good tie-in because we this whole segment is about the business of anime too. 
James texted us an interesting article earlier this week from the Project Anime website. In it, a handful of industry analysts make their predictions for the anime and manga industry for the rest of 2021. Now, this podcast has always taken a fascination in the business of animes, so of course this article was something we would easily sink our teeth into. Now, as a quick aside, Project Anime is run by the Society for the Promotion of Japanese Animation, the parent group of Anime Expo. The site is a mainly industry-related site, but the tie with AX makes sense considering the commercial nature of that convention. So let's talk about some of the takeaways that caught our attention in the article. And the analysts who were asked to look in their crystal ball were some actually some familiar names to us and maybe to a good chunk of anime fandom as well. Christopher McDonald, the uh, head of Anime News Network, an old friend of ours, and once again, I speak as a former ANN columnist. Kristen McLean from N- NPD Books and NPD Bookscan. Roland Kelts probably doesn't need too much of an introduction, journalist and scholar, longtime commentator on anime and manga. Walk Y. Hansen from Anime Trending. I don't know what type of business that's into. That's a website. It's animetrending.com. Okay. And he's the editor-in-chief. And John McCallum from Interpret. Uh, is much the same thing, uh, an industry? industry Sounds like it. Yeah, it's called Interpret Research. That's what it's okay. called. And they all had their different takes on what could happen in the rest of 2021. And we're going to pull out the ones that caught our attention and talk about it. And we'll go in order by which they were, each of them spoke. So Christopher McDonald from ANN and his three, his thoughts seem to center on Sony themselves. How will Sony handle the fourth pillar in light of, in light of their acquisition of Crunchyroll and what have you? And, well, first of all, he expected, uh, his expectations would be that Funimation, Crunchyroll, and Anaplex, which are, of course, the key brands within said fourth pillar, he expects them to continue to exist independently. But he does expect, he expected Funimation and Crunchyroll to still, to start to work together behind the scenes, which... Is almost business as usual, considering the the past relationship between Funimation and Crunchyroll and so, and their collaborations. Although there had been reports of some disagreements behind the scenes, different corporate cultures, I guess, as they say. Yeah, different cult. Yeah, different corporate cultures. That's probably a good way to put it. And then, of course, how Anaplex could end up mixing mixing in all of this. And I think. We've already seen that to a degree already with Funimation because Anaplex has been streaming basically their shows exclusively on Funimation. They've gotten Funimation to do dubs for their recent uh, season of shows over the past couple of seasons. And also we've seen they are still doing Anaplex releases, 
but the only one that we've seen that regular releases come out is Demon Slayer, and that one had the regular expensive Aniplex release, and then recently they had two halves released by Funimation at the normal price. But it'll be okay. remain to be seen if that continues in the future. But I sure hope so. But I'm sure maybe Crunchyroll, if they're uh, brought into the Funimation group, maybe they'll uh, be able to stream Aniplex shows again as well and stuff like that day and date. So that would be the only thing I can think of. But overall, it's like we said, it's probably going to be business as usual, and they'll uh, it'll be a long time before. The dust settles probably probably not 2021 but 2022 maybe we'll see something yeah i think yeah i was about to ask there's a certain inevitability that we could see Funimation and crunchyroll completely merge their 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 streaming operations i just don't see the two coexisting too long and depending on the region they might go with crunchyroll or in North America, they might go Funimation, depending on. Yeah, how that's a debate. Going. That's a debate. At all that's another debate altogether. I think a lot of people hope the Crunchyroll name exists is the one that exists on the streaming platform. Anyway, kind of dumb, but it didn't right? I mean, when you think anime streaming, you think Crunchyroll. You don't think like Funimation. You don't think Funimation. You think of Funimation more as a public, as a physical publisher. Exactly. But at some point, they know that physical publishing is going to diminish and stuff like that, even though that's been their bread and butter. So well, that's playing a good... for the future, too, of course. Yeah, and that's that could be that's going to be an interesting dilemma because Funimation is the more historic name when it comes to the anime industry in North America. But Crunchyroll is, as Mohammed said, the more identifiable name when it comes to anime streaming. Funimation is an older name. Funimation is an older brand. Funimation is the Dragon Ball company. Right? <laughs> yes, the Dragon and, Ball. And because of that, I think it does have some, you know, out of the niche, uh, like not appeal, but um, awareness. Like people who saw or have watched Dragon Ball would have seen the word Funimation. If you went to see the the Frieza or Brawly movie in the theaters, you would have had all the, the Funimation uh, branding and logos. Um, but you, I'm not sure if, uh, you know, that sort of thing happens with Crunchyroll. I don't know if there's been any Crunchyroll movies. I don't imagine so. Yeah, actually, that leads to the other, his other um, point, which is the originals, the original branding. Like Netflix has Netflix originals and they ha- and that, that branding has extended to animated shows, to anime. Obviously, we see. Obviously, they have a, a successful line in terms of some live actions, Stranger Things. Uh, list a couple. List a couple Netflix originals right now. That House have, of Cards was pretty popular back in the day. House of Cards, Stranger Orange, Things, The New Black. Oh yeah, Orange. Yeah. Yep, yep. That but, but, but I, I, I think in this particular case with with Crunchyroll and, and Funimation, I feel like the smart move would be to immediately drop any Funimation streaming service. And just transfer all those users over to Crunchyroll and just have one unified streaming platform. Like when Disney bought Fox, they didn't also set up a Fox streaming service. They set up Disney Plus, just put all the stuff there. I mean, that's how it should be. You shouldn't have two streaming services and try to manage that. Because sure, on paper, your numbers might look great. Hey, we have all these customers and all our streaming services. But then in reality, sooner or later, you're going to have to bring that shit together. And then when you do, your number's going to go low. It's not going to look good. Just do it now. Have one giant big rebrand and say, Funimation's gone. Here's Crunchyroll. Hooray. And then that's it. That's a fair point. Yeah. I, I mean, as you said, we, we, 
as I said, yeah, we all think it'll happen next year, but time will time will tell. It's kind of funny how it there all... is an argument to say sooner the better. Yeah, especially during a pandemic, do it now. Why didn't you do it last year? I think they're still trying to go through the process of getting the sales finalized. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of those things that time and I say twenty twenty. I think that could be the only thing that's holding it back. It's the sale and even is, to rubber stamp. It takes time, mm-hmm. which it is. Right. All right. Let, um, but the funny thing I'll tell you though is like we keep on talking about streaming and stuff like that. And remember, Crunchyroll. It's like yeah, their beginnings as illegal uh, streaming and stuff like that, and then becoming legit. And so that's where people kind of went and started off. And then it wasn't till late in the game that Funimation and then, of course, uh, ADV uh, Sentai with the Anime Network got into streaming because those two, remember, started on TV. They started with on-demand and sometimes yep. in some regions, linear TV, which is kind of crazy to think, right? Dude, I remember I remember the uh, anime, anime, they had an on-demand channel. It was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, that's that's just the way evolution works in evolution. But like, that's the way this process works, right? I mean, YouTube had a whole bunch of piracy stuff in the beginning, and look at it now, still has piracy stuff. <laughs> well, YouTube's an interesting case because, well, we'll talk about. I think we'll make a reference to it uh, towards the end of the segment. Okay, uh, a thought on the on Crunchyroll originals because Netflix has been good with their originals, whether it's animated or live action. Crunchyroll. Not so much in many people's eyes. So did, that's interesting did that because you know, that's interesting because as we have talked about before, we talked about Netflix and how they've been promoting that their originals have been successful, right? And we've talked about watching some of their originals like Great Pretender and stuff like that, and saying, do they get the people? But obviously, if they feel successful, they're getting enough people. But Crunchyroll, we haven't really been hearing that. And the only one I've watched is Inspector, and I know they've been getting a few others, but supposedly it sounds like it hasn't performed up to their expectations. And now that they're bought by Sony and Funimation, it's like, will they let them continue? Probably seeing that Netflix has found traction, they probably will try to continue, but it'll be interesting to see how they try to shift gears to reach the success maybe Netflix has hit. Well, the other thing is, we're talking Sony, and they already like they already have their own studios. Mm-hmm. And there, I think there are Crunchyroll originals that are in development hell and have been since they were announced. So mm-hmm. I don't have the biggest confidence in their ability to uh, follow through with things. Versus like Netflix, when they announce things, it might be a couple of years off, but it comes out. And as far as anime, it's usually you know, subbed and dubbed option. Um, it's either released all at once or in a couple parts. It seems to be pretty effective. Yeah, and they, and they get it ready internationally. I think it has to do with uh, Netflix's structure as well. Uh, usually, from what I've heard from a couple podcasts, like when it comes to these projects, they just let their teams do what they need to do. Well, I think that's a that that that's actually an interesting point. Netflix at this stage has a very international infrastructure. I'm not totally sure you can say that about Crunchyroll right now. Like, who would have thought Baki the Grappler would be as popular as it is now? Mm-hmm. With that being one example, right? But and- as I said, the the way they produce those things, they know they have a, a structure already in place to have it in. 
multiple zones at once to release it in multiple parts of the world at the same time. Crunchyroll and maybe everything everything in the in the fourth pillar for Sony doesn't have that type of optimization that's in sync to be able to do that right now. And that doesn't mean they won't. It's just it's not there right now. Obviously, they have all the pieces to make it work. It's Sony, after all. But, like, we have to wait for we have to wait for the sale to to complete first of all. Some of that will be interesting yeah. to see. There's but another factor too. That, like, I mean, Kevin, that's not a bad point. Maybe part of the part of the failures of of the originals is just the rollout or finding the right partners, right? I, I don't know. I haven't watched the original myself, but sometimes it's a matter of picking the right properties. But I think with Netflix, it, it's predominantly the execution. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I, just like with Baki, like who would have thought to bring Devil Men back of all things, and then look how <laughs> that became successful too. So sometimes it's the execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding the uh, right. Partners. We're just trying to make sense of it. I was just thinking uh, the other thing is there are different experiences. Like I know uh, the one I'm intrigued to find out about this year in 2021 is that one of the Crunchyroll originals they announced was a partnership between them and Adult Swim for an original anime called uh, Fena Pirate Princess. And that's being done by production IG. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out because Crunchyroll will stream. And then obviously on uh, Toonami, they're going to do a dub through that. So that's an experiment that they haven't done before, and maybe they thought they are trying a different track after seeing what they saw before. Basically, one owner to the other, right? Mm-hmm. Many but that one, of course, was mm-hmm. under old ownership because remember Warner uh, Media mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Well, I said, from one owner to the other, from the uh, outgoing owner to the uh, incoming one. But I guess live action was the last one, and we were talking about that on Netflix because we've seen traction with that for Japanese live action because it isn't secondary to anime anymore as uh, Christopher McDonald was saying and I know you've talked about before like with Midnight Diner and some other ones that are finding an audience well yeah it's more of a case of they're not I don't think there's going to be a dependency to try and appeal to the anime fans in the promotion of live action adaptations I mean I think it's a fair point because Let's go down the list a little bit. How many people who have enjoyed the Marvel Cinematic Universe would have been into the comic books? I, I think that's becoming less and less as time has gone. Of course, of course, there's a lot of people who are into the comic books, who love the movies, and will pick away at them as to what they should have put in from compared to the source material. But then there are there is a increasingly larger segment who really don't care. There's also a lack of availability, though. Um, Like, graphic novel sales of superheroes are available in bookstores, but um, I I think that's more of a failure on the the comic book um, companies or or the uh, the distribution methods or uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there there are ways that they could have done that, but it might be too late to to make that kind of connection now. So I and also uh, it doesn't help that in s- several of those cases you can't one hundred percent say, oh, 
you enjoyed this movie, well, you need to go and watch this or read this one specific segment of this <laughs> one specific like, Spider-Man comic where this happens. And whereas with manga, you can just go, hey, you watch Battle Angel Lita? Here's the comic. Here you go. Yeah. You don't have to go, like, uh, Volume 3 of The Flash from 1975 to 1986. Uh, you want uh, the run that lasts from uh, issue 22 to 75. Um, like, it's it's it, there's such a harder um, sell and a harder um, entry point to uh, that world. And I, I love Western comics, but if you, it doesn't work the same way as far as the source material. Um, with manga, it's such an easy, as Kevin mentioned, it's such an easy, you know, movie. Here's the book. Show, here's the book. It's the transition, right? Yeah. But then yeah. my 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 thought was on the most casual of viewers. Do would a casual viewer want to pursue that even further? Although I guess part of the thinking is and part of the motivation of companies and would be to move people away from being casual and a little bit more diehard and a little bit more curious about the materials because maybe they have a stake in their interest in that. I think it'll work a lot better in this um, sort of realm, but I, I also worry a little bit about um, the the level of adaptation and how much how much it will be different, and if people will start complaining. Like if the um, anime and the live action of Way of the House Husband ends up being pretty much one to one. Are people going to get tired of it, you know, by the time they, you know, get to the manga or get to the live action if it's beat for beat, you know, shot for shot? I have no doubt that both the, the animation and the live action are, like, I, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to be popular. But, you know, I'm a little bit worried at this point with some of these series being too close to the source material. Oh, but sometimes isn't, but we've had this discussion before. Sometimes that's the beauty of different adaptations you can see what the creator or the um driver behind each of them thought mattered when it and i feel like a good example would be monster of course because it's basically shot for shot what happened in the manga but it just brings what was on page before that we read to life but that doesn't always happen as we've seen and that's not always interesting i usually hear people wanting shot for shot whereas I don't hear, oh, I don't mind a different adaptation nearly as often mm-hmm. from personal experience. Well, yeah. No, I'm, well, I, as I said, I just take fascination in them and regardless, because as I said, I like to see what the different interpretations are. And that all said, there have been cases where the live action was considered the more, the better or the more, or, at the very least, the more popular adaptation. And throughout the last 20 years, we've had, in terms of, in terms, at least on the Japanese side, we've had cases where the live action probably was way more popular than the anime version. GTO comes to mind here. GTO is a big one. GTO comes to mind, Goku-sen to some degree, although it's starting, now her name... uh, her name escapes me for a second because the star of Goku Sen, the star, the Japanese star of Goku Sen, and I'm going to look this up right now, was also the star of the live action version of Hanayori Dango. Oh yeah, that's another oh. good example. 
but that and and but the thing is sometimes it's just it's it's star power as well right because because the the main star one of the main stars of Hanayori Dango was Jun Matsumoto of Arashi and I know we refer to another Jun Matsumoto later on but <laughs> but, uh, but uh that's for the listeners to to eventually hear about <laughs> Nodame Cantabile is another example mm-hmm. of that. And, and the actress's name was Yukie Nakama. Wait a second. Was she in Hariyori Dango? I may actually stand corrected. So, uh, <laughs> no, he, she wasn't the star of Hariyori Dango. My, uh, so I stand, uh, I do stand corrected on that one. But Yukie Naka, uh, Nakama was the star of Goku Sen. And we'll look up, uh, I will look up who played her in the uh, live action. Mao Inui, okay. Mao Inui was, in the, was the star of Hanayori Dangle. And just for reference, um, always, there's a, always an ongoing rumor, I don't know if it's been confirmed, that she has been long linked to Jun Matsumoto himself since, uh, since as far back as the Hanayori Dangle television series. Anyway, but yeah, we can go, my point being, they know how to, how to make a live action really powerful in terms of in the mind's eye. And coming back to North America, we have trouble thinking about Iron Man without thinking about Robert Downey Jr. anymore. I think we've come to that point. And, uh, I, well, I'd say Batman too, but how many people have played Batman and we all <laughs> thought they were either really bad, good or really bad? I mean, there's only one Batman. Everyone knows that, right? Yeah, who? Christian Bale? Adam West. Come on, man. George Clooney. Everyone knows George Clooney's the best man. <laughs> but no Val Kilmer's a, a tight second. <laughs> no love for Michael Keaton? None? Michael who? You mean the vulture? Yeah, okay, cool. All right. He's anyway, the only that's... gonna play Batman twice. I mean in two different I guess. Yeah, that's don't, worry. don't worry, Ben Affleck's gonna come back and he's gonna do it again. <laughs> uh, with the okay. hunger for content, it'll be interesting to see in the live action sector uh, with growth and that to see the originals that might come out that mm-hmm. t- from Japan that aren't based off any uh, manga or anime and stuff like that because that'll right. be a nice change of pace, right? It's always nice to see different things. Right. Okay, let's continue then uh, because um, we're like 40 some odd minutes into this uh, <laughs> already. Uh-oh. We haven't gotten to the others. We are going two hours, I think, when it's all said and done. Kristen McLean, manga trends will continue their growth in 2021. And that was an interesting one because I know we had talked earlier in the year and stuff like that. And one of them related to a manga roundtable that was done at the virtual uh, Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con. And they had talked in the Viz representative, I know had talked about when COVID started happening in March, there was a worry about sales and what was going to happen and then somehow all the sales went up across the board for a lot of publishers and stuff like that. So they had to revise their expectations. And as we've seen, they talked about the uh, manga being the largest uh, part of the graphic novel category for traditional uh, U.S. trade uh, graphic novels at 43% in 2020. But the thing you remember, too, with NDP books and NDP book scan is they only look at a certain part of the market. So they're looking at the bookstores and stuff like that. They don't get all 
the digital uh, numbers, I don't think. And remember, they don't look at comic book stores as well. So that leads you to wonder how much bigger it is and stuff like that, especially since people are hungry for something, whether it's watching something on streaming or reading something either physically or on their Kindle, for example. So so, the, so these numbers don't may not tell the whole story, and they may actually be better. Mm-hmm. Could be. Okay. Well, the, there's a bright side to the pandemic, I suppose. This manga trend has been going for at least a couple of years now, though, because uh, in similar articles in the past, it's been noted that when it comes to graphic novel sales, the two biggest categories tend to be children's graphic novels. So stuff like uh, Raina Tegelmere, for example, and manga. It's... Mm-hmm. And it helps that uh, you, it helps that when you have a hit anime come out, it will almost always boost sales of the manga in return. And they had talked about that too, about how basically the streaming, these animes and stuff like that helps juice their sales, basically, so to speak. And we've seen that with some we've talked about before. I know with Demon Slayer, of course. Well, yeah, and I guess that once again, it comes back down to what we mentioned just now about, okay, what's what will the curiosity be for source material, for the original materials? It's happening right now with Jujutsu Kaisen as well, one of the newer Shonen Jump titles, which I don't think is that great, but uh, its popularity is undeniable right now. And it helps that when you have a good studio animating a show, that's when you really see good results. That's where we are. Okay, we should uh, start to go through the other three now. Okay. Roland Kelts, three interesting points. VTubers. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm still, I guess this, I'm showing my age again. And not totally grasping the popularity of a virtual. And that's, it's, and it's just started to come around because I know we've talked about it, probably not in past episodes exactly, but in private, I know about YouTube even saying uh, at the tail end of 2020 that more people are apt to watch a virtual persona of a person than an actual person in a stream. And that uh, we've now seen like the Japanese side, people are watching those VTubers and they're getting deals. I know one VTuber has their own brand of sake being made uh, in japan and then they and they have actual english vtubers uh starting uh, to make a presence and stuff like that being signed and streaming uh, around the world so people are definitely grasping for something uh, to look at and uh the one interesting thing in that is I guess we kind of maybe could have seen that coming in a way because we've had Hatsune Miku uh, yeah, before in that we've seen the shows in Europe and North America. And as you said, Mike, we've mentioned it before being on Letterman and stuff like that. So it's not like we ha- maybe should have seen this coming a bit. Yeah, I think it's just because I've, for me personally, I finally, not necessarily come to terms, but just gotten used to the idea of the virtual idol. And remember, this is a concept that's gone as far back to me my memory of it, the concept has gone as far back as Macross Plus because that was used as a plot device. Yeah, there, there, are, there's an increasing amount of like idol shows, uh, live action and like well, not live action, but real life idols and 
like stuff in fictional properties like Love Live, for example. And it's like all these different forms are just combining now. And I also look at K-pop as another example where like those performers are pretty much idols, but they're expected to do it all. And they do. I think there's there's a, a bigger discussion here about kind of the, the separation of like the idol or the personality from a real person. Um, like I think, you know, if you look at even in the um, video game uh, YouTuber space, you have Arlo, who's not virtual, but he's a Muppet or a, a you know, Muppet style puppet um, who's relatively popular. Um, but no one really is, you know, thinking about the real person um, behind that, although I don't know who that would be because he is a literal monster guy. So, um, but you know, that's what people say. Um, but for the, the virtual idols, I'm curious, like, if it, is it a privacy thing? Um, is it, you know, this back to fantasy escapism? Um, but yeah, I think that's probably a, a larger discussion. I'm just really curious about, you know, all the factors that are driving this trend. And some of them are being done through agencies. And I remember one of the English ones, they were on uh, a YouTube podcast, uh, Trash Trash Taste. And when they were on the video portion, it was their virtual avatar that was in the sea, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> but the other thing, though, too, is we can look at from our thing and it's like you never know where these things can go. And I wouldn't. Uh, count it out because we saw what happened in the video game space uh, just as Twitch and others were getting going and some of the companies were like no one's going to watch someone playing a video game and stuff <laughs> like that and all that and look where we are now it's like it's not just about personalities you never know what people will start to uh, watch or how their taste will change and how they take in content well I guess uh, the last part about I want to acknowledge concerning the VTubers a VTuber, a voice behind one, a popular VTuber recently passed away. I remember reading about that, and that kind of made news. But also, like, there's a, I've seen the odd time I've gone on Twitch, you see, uh, you see a v avatar talking in the front of, of somebody playing video games. So it's not, in one sense, it's not far-fetched, but I guess I'm just curious, I, I, as I said, I'll just have to watch a little more able to understand it so in one sense it doesn't surprise me but in the other sense i'm still trying to grasp it because there's because um i'm still grasping how we got to this point okay streaming anime comes of age that's a that's another point from Celts that caught my attention anime now a cornerstone of global streaming media platforms so netflix amazon hulu youtube hbo max they they put up anime, right? Sony, of course, we know that uh, we've already talked about that. So, more anime inspired co productions, you would say, bigger budgets, more CG. Just yeah, they, it's just a thing now. Or partnering uh, with Japan, as we said, these co productions of anime inspired, and we've seen that people are willing to look at animation. As a medium, we've seen uh, Spider-Verse do very well and stuff like that. So hopefully that's good things uh, for the future to see uh, what comes of that. Well, it's... When we taped this last night, I know Jeff brought up a point about somebody who... 
Oh yeah, so Lasan Thomas, who's uh, known for a lot of things, he's I think he's developing the um, uh, Yasuke uh, animation or anime. I, mean, I guess it would be an anime uh, coming up. But you know, there's you know I'm sure some people unfortunately would question if it counts as an anime with a you know African American developer. But uh, he has the series Cannon Buster on uh, Netflix, which you know has a lot of that. Uh, you know, African-American hip-hop, um, at least the musical um, culture embedded in it, even though it's it's a relatively, um, like, it's a fantasy um, kind of mech um, adventure anime. Um, and, you know, it's not that it's, it's took the world by storm or anything, but it's a pretty cool story about, um, you know, a series that was successful on Kickstarter as far as the pilot, and then Netflix, you know, picked it up for a season. And I think that, or at least I'd like to hope that we're going to see more of these sorts of things that break that divide of like, you know, that will have people question like, what is anime or who can make anime? A lot of people would say that things like the Castlevania series um, count as anime, even though that's probably more just stylistically inspired, you know, by, you know, Japanese animation. Um, but yeah, I think that there is a whole lot of potential here, but, you know, I think it is still a little early to say how much of this will continue to snowball and ramp up. And it'll be content creators basically collaborating together because Castlevania was a great collaboration between some Western writing, of course, uh, Konami for the Japanese original video game, and then all that coming together. And it wasn't like they were doing one-to-one for the video game. It was about creating that universe and creating those characters, and it made it successful. And ironically enough, Viz is the one doing the physical release, so it kind of comes all full circle in a way sometimes. But it's giving, like, I mean, to be a little bit more on the utopian side and the and to spout some of the benefits of where we are at this point in time. You can make that argument that that type of stuff may not have had a place in older t- in a bygone era yeah absolutely not like i don't think any japanese network would have you know decided to like yeah let's let's give a, an anime made by a black man a, a shot like i know that that sounds harsh but i don't think they would have had the confidence i mean most of the cast is dark-skinned it's you know probably wouldn't be necessarily appealing to you know a lot of the the major fan base there at least at the time they wouldn't have been the confidence so i think that you know this whole um, Netflix, Patreon, um, independent um, sort of focused um, market or production uh, style, you know, they, it will produce a lot more variety. I don't think that a lot of that variety will have a whole lot of staying power, but I think it's wonderful that they're going to be on Netflix, which is arguably in this day and age a bigger deal than being on, on broadcast television, at least in, in the West. Yeah, well, it, which led to a thought that I gave last time, and I'll give it again. With material back then, any any fringe material, I guess what would have been considered fringe back then, would have had a bunch of different problems finding its way onto traditional broadcast media, and it isn't just necessarily because of you know the like any any discrimination. But sometimes it's also being able to flesh out your narratives and work with me on this one. Because, you know, as time has gone, like 
in traditional media, you are hampered by various things. And probably uh, one thing that would come to my mind is time. In, in television, you, are, you have to tell your narrative in a 30-minute or one-hour time frame. You can't flush out your media. This is the beauty of digital platforms these days, which kind of started with podcasting too. But obviously, as also we have that now in streaming in streaming services and what the, what those are able to hold. You aren't constricted by by certain procedures of time of what traditional media would have given you. Like as I said, TV, you're you have money more constraints. Radio. Not as much. You might be able to flesh out a discussion, a a narrative a little bit better, but not much more because in the end, you are still constricted by the bottom of the hour or the top of the hour. But podcasting, YouTube, Netflix, you can tell your story. You have a little bit more time. You have a little bit more leeway to be able to tell your story. And, you know, even if you, and you look at individual, the lengths of some individual episodes of certain shows on streaming, a lot of the times you will see varying times for episodes of a show. It happens a little bit more. Especially with like original streaming content. I know uh, WandaVision is supposed to be half hour. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. Same thing with Mm -hmm. all the original Netflix stuff. I mean, House of Cards sometimes had episode long long hour long episodes they're slightly less slightly more game of thrones did the same thing where they extended their episodes from time to time it's, it's mandalorian as well like the other platforms do it as well exactly and i was saying it with and i was thinking terrace house back then sometimes they're 25 minutes sometimes they're 40 45 minutes and us here on podcasting as well here we are uh going on an hour in this segment we can go two or three may not be the greatest listening for our listeners out there. I don't know. You tell us anime roundtable at gmail.com. <laughs> but we can have episodes of varying content from one hour to two hours to three hours back in the day. And on top of that, and we can go even, I'll even take this uh, thought even one further. Streamers are looking for content. With all this competition, you have your Hulus, you have your Disney Plus stars, you have your Netflixes who are looking, who are always looking for on the on the lookout for something they can put on. And because of the narrow casting nature of these services, because of the narrow casting nature of digital platforms and uh, in general, that audience who would who would find like a specific show appealing, it's a little for some strange reason. It might be, or not, maybe not some strange reason. Finding something that a show that would match their tastes, it becomes easier for them to find. They're more they're, the that audience who would be more in tune to hearing those narratives in full will, will, could be easier to find in all of this. Like it's messy. It's messy in one way, but 
you know, there's something for everybody in the, uh, going the other way. Maybe that's what, maybe, and maybe that's where anime, that's why anime has a, has a thing because they know that audience is out there. Okay. We move on. We move on. <laughs> Sounds good. Yes, I would say yes. Okay, Kwakwai Hansen only had one point from anime trending. And he makes the prediction of a new possible player. And it's... Well, we were on this topic of Goliath versus Goliath earlier when talking about GameStop. He thinks Disney will have something to say in the future, in the near future. It's a possibility. Well, it's it's strange. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, it's strange because, you know, in the outset of the announcement that Sony owns everything in terms of anime streaming distribution in the world, here we are, you know, worried about the Monopoly, hoping for an, another player in the anime streaming game, or at least in terms of anime on streaming services. Could it be Amazon? Could it be, could Warner Brothers want to come back in and, or Warner Media want to come back in in some form. I even put out uh, Rakuten with uh, Vicky just as a thought. But why not? The biggest of them all, Disney. Disney having an interest in anime produ- anime production, anime style. And How odd. They've, they've dabbled with it in the past with a few uh, Marvel adaptations, uh, Marvel Discourse, I think, most recently. They've had the Stitch anime. Um, so I, I could see them continuing to sort of dabble in it like that when it comes to their own properties. Um, I'm not sure if they'd you know, be in the, the market to produce originals, though. I think that's the key point. Yeah. And they mentioned it in the thing there where they said uh, Disney is going to do 10 animated uh, Star Wars uh, films by Japanese anime creators in 2021. And that'll probably be similar to the Animatrix or something like that. So, so something in the, in the universe of. Mm-hmm. And right. they talk about Disney's relationship with anime. I know uh, in his uh, discourse on this, and one of it is talking about uh, Studio Ghibli and stuff like that. But from what we saw of that, it was kind of like it didn't really go as well. So in this case, I would say it's more maybe taking their own properties and maybe going to Japan to maybe using something Japanese infused or anime infused. You know what I mean? Yeah, as I said, the last line's a pure invention in many respects. Why would you say it didn't do as well for them? It's weird because um, the animators and even Pixar and they, they greatly respect Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki, but it was kind of felt like the business side from what we heard just wasn't able to get the most out of Ghibli. Like their releases and that just didn't feel, it felt like they were just doing a contract. Like, okay, we have this contract. We just got to get these things out or whatever. It wasn't a celebration like G-Kids is doing, getting them into theaters, growing the community and saying, these are films worth watching. You know what I mean? I guess I do see the sentiment there. Although I do imagine that those DVD and Blu-ray releases must have done fine, at least for the AAA Ghibli titles. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Well, I mean, if they, if they were really good, we wouldn't be talking about 
Ghibli's library being with G Kids now. I feel like maybe they didn't care in the yeah. It's like it's like yeah, they fulfilled the contract and they just didn't feel compelled to continue. I don't know. Who knows? Remember the last uh, Ghibli film they released, and that was Miyazaki's Wind Rising. They didn't even put that through the Disney line. They did that through Touchstone. Mm-hmm. Disney could be interesting. And it could be the first step in uh, Disney uh, eventually buying out Sony, right, Mo? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It's going to happen, guys. Yeah, back to your, uh, your uh, myriad of predictions. Absolutely. It's going to happen. Oh, it'll all, all be one universe, uh, Mo? I believe we'll have, like, a five-hour movie with every character imaginable. Considering everything Disney owns, they should really get on making a Bob's Burgers anime or a Muppets anime, you know, something along those lines to really sort of shock uh, shock people. They're they doing should a do a Muppets anything. anything. <laughs> uh, I, I just love to see those character designs, for that matter. Okay, John McCallum, interpret, he, he had a bunch of crystal ball-like predictions. And like I like the first one. Anime production goes on despite the state of emergency. I like what he said. Uh, I like the thought because of how a lot of live action productions right now have its COVID issues. You don't seemingly that wouldn't be the case in terms of a, uh, of a cartoon or anime. Well, it depends, right? Because as we said, we saw that in the summer 2020, the anime season saw a downturn. They only had about 25, and then many were delayed either to fall, and many of the fall, for example, were delayed to the winter because we have tons of uh, premieres this season, but they've had a crazy amount. Like, as he said, upward of 50 new anime a season, but it looks like they're on the way back up, and some of these animes, remember, they start production well in advance, but if they've got their options like figured out and stuff like that with working for from home and the flexibility to make the schedules work and stuff like that and they start getting it down and can start getting closer to what they were doing before maybe i think as he said it was like 30 to 40 series per season then as we said many streaming services are hungry for content and if they can offer that then they may take them up on it because they're looking for eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Anime proves a hard habit to kick. Well, well, do do you want to say something about that, or should I just go to the other ones? And I think that just uh, went towards what we just talked about before: is that it may fill up, as he said, a void of uh, unmet demand and stuff like that, because. Mm-hmm. We don't know how live action, they're starting to ramp up again and stuff like that. But it's a question of, okay, are they going to have everything in place? Are the COVID restrictions going to restrict them from being on a normal timetable? And then the other question is, where do they want to show it? Because some feel confident they can still show it in a theater like James Bond. And we've seen how long that's been delayed. And then some of them have went like uh, Warner trying to get things on HBO uh, Max and stuff like that. I think, what was it? The new King Kong Godzilla movie is uh, the most recent one being talked about coming, I believe, in March. Oh, remember, that's a, well, we've had a, our talk about that and how the structure is just more in tune for that. Mm-hmm. Anime fans will be seen as a, I think we kind of said this already, but anime fans will be seen as a market, not just a single segment. Kind of ties into a bunch of other points that have, were mentioned in 
this crystal ball prediction and probably in past episodes, right? Mm -hmm. So U.S. streamers lean into the female market. Okay. And that was when I think we talked about because we've always seen it there. We've been at the conventions. We've seen the shoujo market and the early aughts. And then, of course, the yaoi market and all these other things. So they've always been there and stuff like that. It's just a matter of, I guess, now they're like, okay, we now have to go after this market or maybe diversify how they're reaching out to people, I guess, for more the mass market. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. It's just that how will the old guard feel? I think that's part of it. And could we be could we see a bit more of a gamergate like attitude? Well, I don't think going forward. With it. I don't either. But <laughs> I don't think you're the people that needs to be worried about. I think yeah. uh, Walker, right, Jeff. Well, no, we like, shouldn't. I, I'd like to think not, but then gamergate did happen. Yeah, like what I mean and, by that is that, like you know. You, I think, you know, as far as the the five of us here, I don't think we're the, the type of people who would have an issue. As it's kind of been made clear, it doesn't take a lot to uh, rile that crowd up. Um, over the last couple weeks, there was a bit of discourse on social media about uh, gatekeeping um, regarding, uh, you know, girl and women anime fans. Like, it's it's not... You know, you, you need a, a, a soft breeze to, to set these people off. But I think that it, it depends on, uh, I guess, how much they seem like they're, they're being attacked. Right now, I don't think that there is a lot of marketing to the, the mainstream when it comes to the girl and women market in anime. We haven't had a, a Sailor Moon or a Card Captors, although those were marketed toward boys in North America. Um, but even from a, a teen and, and women market, we haven't had that mainstream breakout like we have had for Shonen or the more adult action series. Yeah, that's true. It's it's all like, I don't want to say fragmented, but it's, it's all like, there's a lot of different niches going on. Like you have, you have your fans of say, like shows like Supernatural, for example, which I think finally ended a little while ago. <laughs> Uh, or and you have this whole boom of like EK men shows where like you have just a bunch of really attractive men doing what they do and those sell very well. I don't see as many traditional shoujo properties anymore, from what I can tell, at least on the manga front. Like there are definitely fewer anime t titles that are traditionally shoujo. Viz doesn't put as many new shoujo content as they used to definitely not as much as they did back in the 2000s and uh even with kodansha for example most of their shoujo titles go digital first and they might see a print release so it's interesting to see the the shift so to speak i think with like slice of life series um like uh you had Carolyn Tuesday, uh, which is more of a slice of life, but I think because of the pedigree of the creator, um, it's I think the most the closest thing maybe we've had to a, a wide shoujo success. But I, I think yeah, Kevin, I think you're right. I think that that sort of subgenre is is very on on the decline. Though interesting enough, Yuri has been kind of on the upswing and stuff like that because that wasn't able to find a market 
in the aughts. And then over the past, I'd say, seven years, we've seen Viz, we've seen Seven Seas, we've seen Young Press, and we've seen animes in the past few years of Yuri being marketed front and center and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. Although Yuri's usually targeted to men, whereas it's BL that you'll see that targeted more towards women. Kind of interesting when you think about that. It is like, hmm. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> right. <laughs> Family-friendly features finally coming to anime streaming. And that was uh, in relation, I know we had talked about, like, uh, Sony, of course, devouring uh, Crunchyroll and all that stuff. And you look at Funimation and Crunchyroll, what they have for their flat platforms, and it's very different from, say, what you look at a mainstream Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime and stuff like that. And I think they gave a shout out to High Dive because you have those parental controls. You have the thing where you know, OK, I can watch my shows, but say if I have someone younger, all that other stuff, I'll be able to uh, gatekeep and do stuff like that. Supposedly on High Dive, they've added those features, but they haven't really done that on Crunchyroll and Funimation, it looks like. Like, they're still in that niche mentality. Like, they've put the content warnings when you open the episode, but realistically, what's that going to do? Is someone going to look at that and say, maybe I don't want to watch that if they're younger? No, they're going to continue <laughs> to watch on. I want to make someone want to I want to see the violence or whatever, right? Well, yeah. I want to see movies, man. How much <laughs> under 13 content are even on a platform like Crunchyroll and Funimation. Like, I don't think your Doraemons are, are going to end up there. I mean, they, they might be there, but, you know, I think you're mostly seeing sort of the Shonen 15, 16 target age. Well, Shonen's 12 plus, but, you know, you're, you're seeing your kind of mm-hmm. rated T for teen and above on these platforms anyway. What's mm-hmm. Well, uh, and maybe that's the next part in what's to come and the other thing is remember they do have their free uh, part of the service and stuff like that so that's still in the equation stuff like that is we let's not be uh, foolish and think that they can't just go on and find their own things of course although i will say james like them not having those parental controls on Crunchyroll doesn't surprise me because they've never been that good at updating their video players yeah well who knows? And maybe that's part of what's to come as well, an improvement on actual streaming technology. We'll see about until that. We, until we see it, I'll believe it. But you would think if you want to compete with the big boys, then you start, you got to start acting like one. You know what I mean? And, well, they yeah, don't have competition, really. No, no well, competition they're still thinking as a niche, but if they're trying to compete against the others, right? But as we we're said, talking, right? We're talking about like Sony later on, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about what could happen to Crunchyroll. Correct. And there's a point there later. Okay, one uh, a word for a word for Sentai Filmworks and High Dive. Less anime related mergers and acquisitions in 2021. Is it, what's there to mer- what's what's there to acquire now with uh, Sony owning everything? Well, maybe just buying Sony, right, Disney? <laughs> <laughs> but McCallum left a word for Sentai, who yeah. seems. It said Sentai might seem like a likely target for M&A, but the Houston-based anime company seems to value its independent status, which makes it a rarity in North America. With the recent investments of upward of $30 from Cool Japan Fund, 
it has a means of maintaining its independence for some time in a highly competitive niche market. Now, obviously, they're not going to be getting A titles, but at least they'll continue to go on. And we've talked about how they've been looking at uh, some Netflix anime. They've looked at some uh, Amazon anime and stuff like that because they want to get that out physically, of course. And they've looked at older titles. Like this past week, they licensed uh, Nana from Mm -hmm. uh, NTV. So that's good to see that they can still get that out. And they might look at some other back catalog and maybe some others from uh, Nippon Television, uh, which is the one that was licensing out Nana that haven't uh, been able to make their way out. People were talking about Berserk, uh, the original series, 1997. Maybe Discotech or them could take a look. And I know a lot of people talk about Monster, but Monster. I think God, we won't be seeing that because I think that's issue in and, in and of itself, as many people say. It's a licensing nightmare. And uh, John Sorbella tweeted, he, he called Jen, John Ledford uh, a fighter. And... Uh, it just reminds me of how they're just keeping the, up the good fight how for how yeah. long remains to be seen but uh, i can see i could see john not wanting to relinquish his company and i guess some of it is what happened with adv because they had made that yeah. thing and then because the japanese side pulled out they kind of were they left did. with their pants down they had to somehow reorganize in that shuffle that was kind of, uh, to say the least, questionable to become Sentai and all these crazy companies. And now they're just all now Sentai. So I was like, huh? But uh, now it's funny. They used to be the big dog, remember, back in the aughts. And now they're basically like Genion or Bandai was way back then. The second yeah, fiddle, so to speak. It's a little sad because I'm I'm wondering how many of the current, the more recent fans would have known of a name like ADV. None. ADV is a lost is a lost <laughs> legacy now. Which is a bit sad. Because you know they don't got that Eva yeah. money anymore. Okay, last point and familiar faces driving drive streaming reboot reboot uh reboot city apparently right reboots remakes bleach Sha- shaman king we i think we, we kind of hinted at this oh not that reboot okay reboot of reboots no I, i've heard horrible horrible things about that okay <laughs> a live action reboot <laughs> i i just like the idea i mean this was an interesting point because we constantly talk about remakes and reboots continuations of historic titles and it isn't like bleach obviously and shaman king we've mentioned fruits basket is half uh we've mentioned card capture sakura coming back a couple of years ago me other titles off the top i Berman mean crystal baruto yeah baruto sailor moon, um, yeah, yasha hime sailor moon i mean this is like this is a this is a trend of sorts right it's not necessarily unique to anime. Cobra Kai, we have, right? Ralph Macchio introducing his uh, kids to when he was a teenager in Karate Kid. Or um, Mario Lopez constantly joking around about his daughter watching old episodes of Saved by the Bell. This as the reboot of that came out a couple months ago. This is a thing again, right? And I guess... Maybe what uh, this ends up doing is the circle of life of sorts. 
with the, the focus on these titles coming back out again. Curiosity on their original forms would be out there again. With the return of Bleach, continuing that storyline, so what about the original episodes? Shaman King, how does it compare? Fruits Basket, I'm, I'm sure there's curiosity about the original one. And it also makes people probably go to look for the original source material, uh, the manga versions of those again. And Shaman King, it's going to be re-released under Kodansha USA and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it, as, as if there's all hill, so to speak, uh, because people yeah. will, once they get an interest, they'll become uh, vivacious in finding uh, all the other content to devour, whether it's the manga or going back to see what happened originally, if it did have an original series. And Shaman King would be an interesting look at, because remember, that was four kids that originally did that. They had Shaman King and One Piece, and we're going to make them just as big as uh, Pokemon, but it didn't quite oh, work yeah. out and, that way. And, and <laughs> the manga... Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a case of making a, making IPs evergreen, for better or worse. I mean, and, you do have your Star Wars, and with with the Shaman King manga, it's gonna be like they're gonna adapt the whole thing with the real ending, which we never got. Yeah, that, that, out, that out. That's sort of it. And with with Shaman King, like the original anime did diverge, uh, similar to Full Metal Alchemist, so. It's it's going to be interesting mm -hmm. to see how that how that resonates, how that turns out, because it is a series that has a significant, small but significant fan base in the West, and not quite Saint Seiya big, but still fairly big in in Mexico and Latin America as well. So, um, I think a lot of these reboots are interesting because they they are from the 2000s. So you know Inuyasha, Shaman King, Bleach. Versus, you know, this sort of trend used to be more common if you, you know, look at things like, uh, I guess, Cutie Honey or the long-running series like Detect Detective Conan and Pokemon. So I think it's interesting that it's happening now. Well, maybe, so maybe the whole concept is not that far-fetched when you think about it. It's, it's really just taking a long, long vacation. Yeah, I think it's, it's a bigger gap than, I guess, gone. there used to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, that's where we are sometimes. Nostalgia does go, and That's then the power of nostalgia, and you know, almost Rolling Stones like, hey, you know, a parent can enjoy a show with their kid, and they did it in I'm the early on. The manga side too, because like <laughs> with the fruit, with Fruits Basket specifically, like you have the new additions by Yen Press, but then you're seeing, well, I'm seeing lots of people specifically looking for the old Tokyo Pop release, which has gone out of print, and it'd be more expensive to acquire than buying the new release. Which is That's fascinating to me. That's interesting to think about. Yeah, I, well, I have them sitting on the shelf somewhere. The interesting thing, though, I was thinking about, we were talking about nostalgia, but we have seen it before, even in the anime sector. The early aughts, it was Astro Boy, Cyborg 009, Gigantor under its original name and stuff like that, so... Things, as we Black said, are Jack. cyclical. Yep. Yeah. But uh, that's that. And as I said, this was an interesting article. And any one of these predictions were a segment in and of itself. And we've been talking for like an hour and a half now. We'll put up a link to the, to the article itself and let everybody else who uh, listens to this have their own debate about it. And of course, 
one month is down in 2021, 11 more to go. So we'll see how uh, all this pans out. Maybe we can revisit it just to see how much of this happened. But isn't that the fascination with listening back to old episodes too of this uh, show? Because we had our thoughts back then too. Mm -hmm. That all said, said, uh, well, that's pretty much it for anything we want to say about it. But let me make a quick recommendation before we throw to break. Earlier on on Saturday, Je- our friend Jesse Betteridge released the latest episode of his podcast, the Zen in Canada podcast, and they spared uh, a couple minutes in the middle of the show to talk about their take on the acquisition, on Sony's acquisition of Crunchyroll. And they put up a couple of interesting questions that might be worth listening to hear them talk about. Namely, how it'll how it could play with Canadian regulators, because the government has been looking at changes to the Broadcasting Act, but specifically the targets seem to be streaming services. It's uh, that's going to be very interesting, especially with the CR CR um, CRTC. Yeah, I, I mean, like I don't know how they're gonna because because it's just. It's like a lose-lose situation for them. They're not going to get... Like, none of these streaming services are going to give them any meaningful information. They're not going to kowtow to any government regulations. I mean, Netflix is not going to be, like... They may not have more uh, Canadian content because they're in Canada. It's, that's, that's not going to happen. That's not... Well, as I said, here their take. It's an interest. It's not, it's not a one you can dismiss, but it's an interesting... They take a different angle on it and worth listening to. And then the other one is Sony themselves, and maybe a point I've brought up in the past, and what they th- what they think could happen to Crunchyroll into the future. Just remember, Sony bought an anime streaming service, but they don't have a mainstream one of their own now. And they put the idea that that could be the future of Crunchyroll. It could be the home of all of Sony's other movie and television properties at some point. Well, they did do Asian dramas at one point, remember? Mm-hmm. So it's not far-fetched, and it's at least a debate. You can hear their, their take on it in the latest episode of Zan in Canada. We'll put a link up for that. Anyway, that's that. Uh, how, did, how do you think we did on the redo? Longer? Yes, it was longer. <laughs> <laughs> but... We brought up different points, and some points I know, based on what we I listened to this morning, didn't come up. But um, hey, that's just the way this debate goes. It, we take on different uh, different angles. Now we also may make the joke we might be doing weekly episodes, but I don't think we're going to be uh, doing another episode this coming week, guys. Super Bowl next Sunday for starters, but there's a bunch of things uh, coming up at the end of the coming week that all have our attention and all of us want to watch a little bit of that. What are those things you ask? Well, you'll find out in the, in the bullets, which we taped last night. And that's coming up after this break when the anime Roundtable continues on the six talk podcast network. Hey folks, my name is Brett and I'm one of the hosts of Skeleton House, an audio-only Let's Play podcast where my two friends Jess... What is happening? 
Oh my god! And Steve. Even he looks spooked. Play through video games, and I edit them, add context, and act as your eyeballs. Also, we have a cat. Come check us out at skeletonhouse.buzzsprout.com or look up Skeleton House on your favorite podcast app. Or your least favorite podcast app. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. Looks like we're going to have to redo the first half of the episode, guys. Hopefully this one works. Well, we've done it before, right, Mike? Yeah, we've had to redo complete segments uh, in the past. That's why we always say to come and join us in the audience, right? Right. Well, I mean, I don't know. It would be a a first for the uh, version 2 era, though, for sure. And the radio program now resumes Nicholas, Austin, Ng, Shamarki, and Greg continuing the conversation with you. In front of our virtual audience, thank you for listening. And online via the Six Talk Podcast Network, official podcast, Anime North. Hello, can you hear us? Hopefully uh, this second segment goes off without a hitch. So we'll all meet up uh, tomorrow to redo, uh, redo the first part. Sure, why not? <laughs> 7 a.m. Uh, on the dot, right? Right. Absolutely, man. When 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 someone says seven, that means morning. If you want to say seven at night, just use the European numbered version. Nineteen o'clock. Nineteen o'clock. Well done. I'll get I'll I'll get the uh, espresso extra strong. Okay. All right. Let's let's continue then. We'll see if we can uh, recover the first part, but. Show must go on. Oh, we're acknowledging this. Okay. Yeah, we're (laughs) acknowledging. Right now, we're right now, we're we'll acknowledge that. Okay. If this episode is up to the listeners, we had a small glitch in taping the first part of the episode. We we have to acknowledge it because you know it makes for a good story anyway. Uh, Kevin's Kevin's file is apparently corrupt or lost and we're going to try and recover it otherwise failing that we're going to re-record the entire first part on sunday you know what we could always do right mike we could do uh get those people that are dubbing over youtube videos and see if they could somehow recreate what kevin said for us on this podcast if they're supposedly that good even though some youtubers are questioning why this is happening i say that all the time why is this happening how are we doing this (laughs) how are we doing this okay well we do have the second segment to go and we did say what it was here we go with the bullets these are little things which may become big things which somehow may get to two hours. Okay. Item. Redo of healer. So Rui Tsukio tweeted out earlier this week that his light novel series, his current light novel series, if I'm not mistaken, Redo of Healer, has been rejected by English language publishers. No. English version. They tried with one publisher and they were rejected. And this is a Katakawa property. And so, so likely they went to Yen Press because Katakawa owns Yen Press. And also because his previous or one of his series he's also doing at the same time, which is called um, 
the world's finest assassin gets reincarnated in another world as an aristocrat. That light novel is being released by Yen Press at present. The first volume just released in December. So you would assume they went to Yen Press again, but because of content of Redo of Healer, which is a very uh, risque series, they decided to uh, refuse license. But that doesn't mean, as he said, uh, if you can say that you want to see it, maybe another publisher will reach out, like maybe One Piece uh, Books, which has done some Katakawa properties like Hinamatsuri or Shield Hero. Yeah, send them a tweet or an email. Yeah, and I guess uh, Redo of Healer has had some attention because the anime has started to air. Correct. And they had a thing from their original, sorry, their official uh, Twitter account in Japan talking about a content warning because their main image for it, it's like, oh, this is a nice isekai. It's like, looks very friendly and all that. And then I've seen some other, then you see some other images if you Google it. And then uh, they basically said, in their official uh, Twitter for the anime, they said this program is fiction and bears no relation to any existing person, place, or organization. Furthermore, the content <laughs> is not made to endorse any specific way of thinking or belief. The work also includes extreme violence. Children and young people are advised against viewing it. And that's very true because it's a revenge series. Basically, the main character is a healer. He was treated like garbage and crap by his party. And basically what happens is he uses his power to basically go back in time. And basically it's a revenge plot where he's trying to get revenge against all these people who treated him like garbage in his uh, previous existence and stuff like that. And it's uh, very, uh, as uh, Joey the Anime Man, a YouTuber, uh, said he's been talking about it recently. And he talked about uh, the manga and original light novel last year. He said it's like a dumpster fire you just can't stop and look away from it or or like a nascar accident right well and we must uh we must acknowledge joey the anime man he's one of the hosts of of trash taste right correct well yeah the most popular podcast going anime podcast going right now right and he's definitely popular himself. I think he's got 2.66 million subscribers now. So it's that's the reason it's so popular because, you know, it it uh, he it takes well three well known content YouTube creators, and puts them all mash them up all together talking anime. So, you know, popularity spawns more popularity for something else. Good for them though. Yeah, no, but, they built it over time, and as you said, you never know how uh, YouTube is going to pan out for some people, right? Mm-hmm. No guarantees, but it, it's an interesting. Well, it's an interesting story. I'm trying to remember. Well, first of all, um, there's there's another component to this. Uh, something about showing this in Germany. Well, no, that, the Germany part is more due to the publisher because they've had issues trying to get some of their uh, content to streamers in Europe before. So I wouldn't worry about that. Do you think that 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 part of the story is more uh, a business issue as opposed to yeah, a it's more content a business, issue? Yeah, it's more a business issue than a content issue. But this one for Katakawa, it's not surprising that the pers- the ones that are streaming it in North America, and I think most of the Western world, English-wise, is um, Sentai's uh, High Dive. And they are streaming the censored version. They're not streaming the uncensored version. And sometimes they have streamed censored and uncensored. So, for example, uh, Peter Grill, 
they did the uncensored and the censored, but this one there so far they're only doing the uncensored version and they're not also putting it on Crunchyroll. It's only on High Dive. But it's interesting because I know going back to uh, Joy the Anime and Anime Man, he uh, talked about uh, that there is the uncensored version out there and it's a lot more graphic there than in the censored version where it's not just bars of light. Like sometimes you have darkness over most of the screen. You also have long uh, pans, for example, in the second episode of a fireplace and you're hearing uh, things that you know what's going on, but you can't see it. But in the uncensored version, you can. But obviously they oh. felt they couldn't go through the same issue they had with uh, interspecies reviewers in Funimation. And High Dive uh, has no problem. They've done stuff like this before. Hmm. Two titles come to mind when I read this story. And we're going way back when I bring up these two titles. First one was Video Girl Eye. Because I know that one of the volumes back then, back in Japan, was actually held back for some interesting content. Although, I never really understood the specifics of it. Because it had plenty to start. I mean, that's just Masakazu Katsura. The way he does things. The other title I was thinking about was Kite. Because remember, back in the day, we saw three versions of that from media blasters but kite, each version feel, increasing in in adult content i thought kite was a different example because remember kite was a hentai first and foremost and it's like they scaled back because they had so much they could work with just as a story to cut it back and stuff like that and they did mm -hmm. and, and similar did. to mezzoforte that well, one as well from the same, same creator mm -hmm. but that one was interesting where those ones seemed uh, the mature content was just kind of put in. You didn't really need it. Whereas <laughs> Kite, it kind of was a part of the story and a better way of putting together a story around that type of mature content compared to Redo Healer, where it's just kind of there. But Gratu kind of gratuitous and maybe unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Like, but I mean, they... I'm not familiar with the title, so I haven't really taken any significant read of it. Yeah, but the other thing with Redo of Healer to get back to the light novel being re uh, refused by Yen Press, likely, we don't know for sure, but that's likely, is that it's interesting. It's probably there is the manga in the light novel. Usually they'll get both, but I think likely it was the light novel that tried to get licensed. And it's interesting because uh, usually you'll have a few pictures for the light novel, but I think for this one, they wouldn't have had pictures that crazy in there it would mostly be content of the written word and you could think well we've had game of thrones and other books out there so it's not like we haven't seen that from other people out there well yeah um, that's the thing right mm -hmm. i mean you, you, we've talked you know etchy content adult content and this is just print and by and large some of this is just printed word correct not not not, not as much in the way of actual pictures but you got plenty of that cool. in Game of Thrones. That's oh. why it's interesting on the anime side. It'll be interesting to see how far they go because they went pretty far already. It sounds like with the uncensored version, it was amazing to me. You get an anime, but I guess if you get enough traction and stuff like that, you find the right people, someone's going to make it. I feel like it's been this way for a few years now where TV shows have just been allowed to be edgier and edgier and show more 
nudity or show implied sex or even show the sex outright so long as you don't show the genitals and mm-hmm. like there have been several cases of this in the past several yes. years yes there has like, the thing is, it, is one example of that mm-hmm. well it, but then it also comes back to remember what we were talking about earlier in the first segment and this will give it away whichever version goes up You can ultimately you'll be able you can only be able to show so much on broadcast television or cable television or traditional forms. And some of it has little to do with content and more to do with, well, it's everybody's trying to get in or you're constricted on time or what have you. And then ultimately, you know, content creators, producers, they're looking at other means to be able to distribute their works, i.e digitally streaming. And I guess the other thing you think about too, from the HBO perspective and other premium stations like Showcase and that is at one point, I know some people talked about, they were trying to out sex each other and stuff like that. That's a a interesting way to put it. Very uh, not so great degrees in that. And HBO themselves acknowledge this by getting people in to properly like, make sure that these sex scenes were done in the right way and stuff like that, that both actors would feel comfortable and that they were portrayed however they were going about them. They didn't just throw them in there like sometimes they had done in the past. Okay, so what do you think the bottom line is? Do you think this, uh, do you think Redo of Healer, the light novels, will be see, will see an English release? Uh, maybe in the future, you never know. I think uh, One Piece uh, books likely has a likelihood of picking it up. They've had traction getting stuff from Katakawa in regards, as I said before, Hinamatsu and even Shield Hero. And Shield Hero at the beginning had a few scenes where you kind of were like, oh, that's uh, interesting there. But I think you could see them getting it, or maybe they'll go somewhere else. Like maybe uh, J Novel, for example, could give a kick at the can at uh, licensing this because they've had. Um, the JK uh, sex girl in another world that uh, like novel was licensed by them, which I read and it's only one volume, but it's a very interesting series. But in defense of that, that series or that one novel about JK sex girl, it's an isekai, but this girl, you find out, you go through it, that she uses it as a power vehicle throughout uh, the novel you find at the end and stuff like that so it would be a spoiler if I explained why she became uh, I guess a prostitute and is going through this in the other world worth keeping up with I know I know you guys are probably more in tune in terms of light novels than I'll be but interesting story in that sense alright let's move on item and this is kind of a disturbing story Toy Animation has apparently refused to do business with a union negotiator because of misrepresentation due to the fact that the negotiator identifies themselves as an ex-gender or non-binary gender. And in the process, uses an alias to better reflect their identity. Furthermore, it's taken another twist because in the process, it has apparently nullified work that the negotiator has completed in that it cost another person a promotion or something to that effect. And Toei, by all accounts, have been very heavy-handed in their dealings to this point 
only referring to the negotiator by their legally registered name, which this person disregards. And to top it off, the employee who the negotiator had been advocating for has been subjected to various forms of harassment. This is a deep story. And first of all, the first name that comes out to me is Toei Animation. Toei was mentioned in Pure Invention in somewhat not so flattering terms, if I remember correctly. James, you remember? Yeah, I I believe uh, you were correct in that. And remember, they are a long-standing brand and stuff like that. And then we also have to factor in uh, how people uh, in Japan, especially probably the older generation, uh, think in regards to these issues and stuff like that. Well, that's the... Yeah, that's the bigger part of this. I mean, it, it, I think it's a reflection of something even deeper in the Japanese system. And it's on all sides. Like, you look at um, Aeson, who is the person that was trying uh, through this union to get their complaint through, and him or her basically has been through the ringer, uh, unstripped of their work as, uh, I think it was an animation uh, unit director and stuff like that. They were went to an assistant and then as they were trying to make their complaints and stuff like that, they were basically chastised and berated. And then they did uh, the same thing that they do in many Japanese organizations. And people heard in Konami where basically they try to make them quit and basically sending them to an undesirable place or trying to basically demote them even further to clerical work or menial work where they're doing nothing related to their job, so they'll quit. And it's kind of crazy that in Japan they can do that. If you were in the West or in Canada, the States, in certain places doing that, that would be constructive uh, dismissal, and you'd be in hot trouble there. But somehow that still continues on in Japan. And then the cherry on top is this, with Bison, which is the negotiator for this union, trying to represent this poor person, and they went, and did uh, some negotiation over online because of COVID. So they did three um, meetings online and were able to do it. And then this fourth meeting, they couldn't do online. They didn't get the uh, link, they said. And so they phoned the studio beforehand. They went to the building of Toei to meet the lawyer and the people handling the case. And when they arrived, basically, they spoke aggressively. And then they got a security guard just to chase them out. And then uh, after that, the company, in their correspondence, as you said, they were basically dead naming them. They basically mm-hmm. used their legal name in their family register and stuff like that, saying that they um, were, what was it, like a false name of using a false name, which is yeah, the kind alien, of they don't recognize They don't recognize the uh, and, name. And the as alien. you said, that... The collective bargaining is an obligation established by the labor union, and there's no matter of uh, trust relationship in regards to this at all. Like, this is just literal bullshit, as you could say, especially here, because you look in the contract and it's based on the union contract. And so they should have had the right to have them be represented by them regardless. But it's very sad. They had to go through that same thing. And it's kind of telling about. Toei themselves, and you talk about Asan, who supposedly is still trucking along trying to work for this. I'm surprised. And you said it's kind of telling that they, from the outside, they want to work for Toei. They had this respect for them. And then 
they go through this and they saw what the negotiator went through and they're just like, what the heck? Well, oh, if I'm you... at least they're still trucking along. I, I would have went somewhere else, but. Where where else would they go? That's the the and kind of problem thing. Right? Like there's there's so limited job opportunities for for trans and non-binary people in Japan, um, especially in a field like that, which is so sad. And I think they mentioned that in the article. Like you can imagine this, you know, person growing up um, with all this sort of fantasy and escapism, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're they're working at least adjacent in the industry, and they're you know, essentially shunned. Um, but, you know, there's, and, and it's such a great job, like it's a professional job. Um, usually when when you're thinking about, um, you know, uh, non-binary and trans people working in Japan, they're either, you know, they're working at, um, you know, a cafeteria or, you know, low-level retail, um, or maybe if they're lucky, somewhere in the sort of, entertainment industry adjacent kind of fields but you know this sort of professional job you don't see um you don't see people in those communities represented uh so you know it's it's such a garbage move by toei it's it's the worst thing they've done in months and they've done the digimon adventure reboot in the last couple months which was a pretty low bar um like I'm, I'm pretty disgusted, and I'm also disgusted that I know this story is just gonna blow away. Um, it's, it's not going to, you know, raise any huge alarms. Like it's great that we're talking about it. It's great that there was the article about it, but I think it's just gonna get swept under the rug. It's gonna be a long push, as we say, for people to accept it. Definitely in other parts of the world and stuff like that, and you just gotta keep on talking, and it's the long haul and as we said the thing is some of it are these older generations we could talk about dead naming we could talk about changing your gender we could talk about elliot page and many others but it just goes over their head it's like we're talking martian to them you know what i mean but the other thing just sorry about that you know it's just that it's complicated because japan has had such a like a incredibly long um history with um i guess gender identity in general like if you look in you know, all the way back to the ancient um, times, they had a completely different view of things until Western influence. But even like, you know, it, it's been fairly, you know, legal to, you know, be a trans person in Japan or non-binary, but they're so archaic in, in their restrictions. Like you, you can't have had a child or you can't have a child under 18 or something like that. Um, you know, similar to some other countries, you need to have, you know, surgery um, or, you know, all these kind of things, which make it in- incredibly difficult for, you know, non-binary or people who can't medically transition. But the fact that, that they address this in their laws and saying, okay, yes, you can have your gender being reassigned. It's more than some other countries. So, like, I don't think Japan deserves a lot of credit here, but they're not... Um, they're not completely in the dark ages. I think this is willful ignorance and really wanting, like it is an, an active choice by the older generations to not change. Um, it's not just, it's not just Japan's normal slowness to change. I, I think there's, there's some malicious intent here to some degree at the very least. I, I just say, I think of it as just taking advantage of the present system. Toei. Yeah. 
the way I look that at it for, to, for Toei, yeah. for Toei, they know they can like what's the, what good is there for them to benefit, say Asan, and yeah, these are the aliases of the two people we mentioned. The negotiators referred to as Bison. The employee they were advocating for is Asan. And we should mention just because I know Jeff said it. Just to let you know, Jeff, it wasn't uh, the person at Toy. It was the negotiator okay. that was the non-binary. But even still, that is terrible. And even the um, person they were advocating for, Asan, as you said, they probably wouldn't leave their job because these people might have connections and might badmouth them somewhere else. So it's cyclical, right? The Japanese society, certain ways. And, there, and there's a sorry, there's a pride there too. Like they wouldn't want to leave their job. Oh, yeah, that too. Even but if like, they why were, why did you leave your job, right? And then yeah, how do you explain it? Even, well, yeah, if, right. even if they were belittled or pushed to like the most undesirable branch of the company, like I, I saw that happen, or I heard about that happening in Japan, even in the education sector. You know what? What James was mentioning about you know giving them the worst jobs um, or the worst tasks, like that kind of thing, is what happens in order to try to push these people out. I'm just surprised how petty. Toei is like it's so it would have been so little effort for them to at least not dead name them even if they you know the the grammar of how Japanese works might be different or you know the formalities of things might have been you know you couldn't use um, gender neutral language or you couldn't just refer to the the name well I guess the, the name is the dead naming that was the problem but you know it, it would have been so little effort for them to just not do it but they decided Oh yeah, that's a, that's a thing, <laughs> yeah, right? They, 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 I don't even realize they did it, and some of that comes from just sorry, Mike. Was, uh, yeah, one I, point I was uh, thinking about Atlas and what they did in the original Catherine, where they dead named a character and they just didn't even care. And the other thing is the localization. Oh. They're the ones that fixed it in the remake, mm. uh, Catherine Full Body, which released last year. I'm not sure if they even fixed it in the Japanese version, which I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't, is they don't fully grasp what's going on. Well, yeah, it's as I said, it's just a tech to me, it's just taking advantage of the way the system is like it's partly. Like discrimination, there's it's partly, you know, in your face discrimination, but I also think it's just taking advantage of uh, a systemic discrimination issue. Within. And as I said, that just says uh, something more about Japanese society. It's it's an either or. You're either a male or a female. But the culture, and in turn the legal system, does not allow for anything in between at this point. And you know, obviously perceptions will have to change. But we constantly mention how backwards sometimes Japanese society can be, and this is a another reflection of that but this is a bigger this is a bigger issue and we hate thinking about other societies being being discriminatory but it's there all the time japan has its issue with xenophobia so this story is sad to hear in one sense but not the Somehow you just don't feel too surprised either. Not surprised at all. Mm -hmm. It and tells us that we have a long, a long time, a long way to go and stuff like that. And 
there are many other places across the world we can name off, like in Africa, in Russia, in China, and other places where it's the same thing could be happening and stuff like that. And then the other problem is there could be bad actors from our part of the world that don't agree and have given up on North America or other places in Europe and are going here spreading these awful ideas and stuff like that. And we have to stand up and fight up and say, this isn't like some Western idea or something we came up with. This is human rights. Trans rights are human rights. Mm -hmm. And they all deserve to live in peace. And places like Canada, to a degree, to the U.S., parts of Europe. Yeah, they're, they're, it could be better too here, but a lot of them would take that. A lot of people in the LGBT community could, would take this as a starting point. It's it's a risk though. That's that's the issue. Like with America, Canada, UK, um, and I mention this all the time to to people who ask about like the LGBT uh, situation in Japan. There's much less risk of being murdered in Tokyo for for being a trans person, but there's also less less possibility of having a good job. So it's this weird situation. If you have the opportunity to even choose one or the other do you want the risk of of you know compared to like somewhere like yeah, new york um, actually you're yeah you know what and we say this in race too so i'll i'll i stand corrected so really it becomes a pick your poison then exactly yeah yeah so mm -hmm. which one is it and it's hope versus safety really um like, do you do you want to be able to live your dreams or do you want to be guaranteed you won't you know be beat up because that will almost never happen in Japan. Um, you're not going to get shot or, or beat up. I don't want to say never because I'm sure it does happen, but it's it's much less of a of a fear. I'm, you know, just from what I've I've seen and, and read. Fair point. Point taken. Thank you. And as I said, I stand corrected. I will say I stand corrected in that sentiment. I guess the other thing I would worry about, too, is that in Japan, and it happens across the world too, is the mental stress, right? That probably people will be saying hateful things. And how much can you take of those hateful things before you think negative thoughts and hopefully they don't decide to take their life and stuff like that? Because Japan does have a high suicide rate. So that's something okay. I would worry about. And sadly, I'm, yeah, and sadly, I'm, sh I, I doubt that Japan has a lot of records on, on trans and non-binary suicide rates. Their, their rate is fairly high anyways. And I don't think, I haven't researched it, but I doubt there's that research to see, you know, and, and that's, you know, my being, uh, stand, standing corrected, um, because, you know, that's definitely an equal risk of death, um, if not greater, um, within the, within the community. So. Well, there's the uh, either or type thing. As, yeah, you say we all gotta try and pull together, right? And sometimes it's the long road you have to take. You don't make these uh, type of cultural changes and these generational shifts in one day, one month, or one year. It takes decades and stuff like that. And we've seen that even uh, this year with uh, racial tensions in the states and other places, right? Mm-hmm. Just keep going. All you can just do is just uh, stand up. Well, from that to something a little bit more, oh, well, both uh, equal parts lighthearted and outrage, outrageous. <laughs> I thought so it was more that uh, 
people across the world can be equally uh, idiotic in this COVID age, right? Yes. So in the time of COVID, you knew there would be a story of people in high privilege and responsibility doing something they shouldn't in Japan. And this was the case when two Japanese politicians decided to visit a hostess bar. And these were from the ruling party. <laughs> and it eventually, and when it was uncovered, Yoshihide Suga, the prime minister, had to issue an apology on behalf of these elected officials, Kiyohiko Toyama and Jun Matsumoto. Probably not that Jun Matsumoto, <laughs> if you know who I'm referring to in that sense. Because, you know, that Jun Matsumoto probably wouldn't need to be going to a hostess bar for female company. What what do we want to say about this one? Like, oh. I mean, I guess, I guess we, I guess every country has a version of this, right? How did they get caught? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> Probably, like anything else, like someone saw them or someone saw that this uh, host club was basically operating outside the normal hours because this happened in Tokyo, where there is a COVID uh, state of emergency and there are rules now, so that's why it's a thing, just like uh, the different politicians across Canada, states and other places, basically traveling to uh, Hawaii or Caribbean or other places where they shouldn't be when there's stay at home orders. And so for Tokyo, for example, they said restaurants are supposed to be shared by 8pm each night. So probably they were beyond that. Mm -hmm. Okay, they deserve it then. Well, they deserve at least the uh, public public uh what's the word that's why criticism being dragged through the mud what would happen see if they had half a brain they do delivery health services instead <laughs> oh, <laughs> is there a curbside uh, version because then you just go to someone's residence and then you wouldn't be so suspiciously seen you could just be going into air quotes a relative place to check in on them that could be the excuse you use but no you had to go to an establishment where you know those places are i'm sure they weren't going through the front door oh boy well, come on be smart guys i think it's if like you're really some of those do that kind of shit be smart about it <laughs> well as i said politicians have had versions of we've had versions of this going around people politicians and people in privilege on that note let's do the canadian covid update or at least in ontario which hasn't been a in terms of uh new cases at least in ontario it's been a subtle week we've for the most part for the much of the week the number of new daily cases in ontario have straddled either side of 2000 I think uh, today it was just slightly over. I think the bigger number is number of deaths due to COVID. And that's stayed at 50 or roughly 50. And then today it was a 76 for Ontario. That's one of the concerns. ICU capacity is, well, we're reaching it. I think more than 300 are in ICU with uh, more than 200, like two thirds of them on ventilators that's that's the ontario picture and that's not all and that's not the whole story at least in terms of what happened in canada today there's been a the two other 
big stories, at least in the last 48 hours, have been vaccine shipments, shortages, because Canada has been short-shipped in terms of vaccines coming in. For reference, Canada doesn't have factories to make their vaccines. They have to depend on shipments from Europe, but there, they were, there were no shipments of one vaccine last week, and they'll be short-shipped on the other one. There, there have been two approved for Canada, and they'll be short-shipped on the other one in the coming week. And then there's this growing sentiment of the EU, because these uh, the vaccines are being produced in Belgium, trying to hold back shipments for the future, just to make sure they, they're seen to see to themselves in the first place. Mo? Yeah, I know. I mean, this, this story is kind of kind of wild, man. Uh, the, the director of The Who was talking about it, too, saying how, like, you're basically going to create, like, economic bubbles, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. certain regions will get it before other regions will still get an advantage of the, econ- the economy and whatnot, and how you're just going to, like, decimate total economies. Like, like, like right now, they're seeing that, like, it's just going to be ridiculous. Like, it's like, it's like, it's so short-sighted and so just bad, you know? Like, like we should all just gang up and tell Germany no again, right? I think that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and well, we have that, the, said, uh, that's variants, too, that are being talked yeah. about as well. And mm-hmm. that uh, modeling about it being some of those variants becoming more prevalent uh, in the future, I guess. Yes, that was, uh, I guess that's another key thing. Uh, Mo- Ontario had an updated on the modeling for how the pandemic could go. And yes, they could see the numbers, like, right now, the numbers are okay. But then they think they'll the variant will have something to say in the future. Mm-hmm. So there's a Lock, concern lockdown there. version three, guys. It's coming. It makes you wonder. Well, we're still in the second one. Yeah, the, yeah. You can't really call for a third lockdown when we haven't even gotten out of the second. No, no. I, I just did. I, I'm saying how like we're gonna get out of this lockdown. A new variant's gonna show up, and then oh, lockdown three. Oh boy. Okay. Well, and then that's not. That's not the rest of the story for Canada. They announced um, tomorrow, Sunday, there's going to be a ban on flights, like Canadian airline flights, to warm spots, to sunny <laughs> destinations. Just the warm spots, guys. Just the warm yeah, just the warm spots, right? So, you know, there's but no you can go state. to the warm spots in the states. Oh yeah, but then, yeah. but then, well, then try and get back in, and then they'll force you into a fourteen-day quarantine in a hotel of their choosing. High prices, two thousand dollars. That that was on that your was dime. Ridiculous, man! That was so infuriating. Well, when well I... that <laughs> the thing is, it's a, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a deterrent. I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I told I'm I'm totally for the whole hotel quarantining. If you need the country for dime. whatever reason. I'm I'm cool with all of that. On, on on your dime, right? That's where it kind of gets. That's where it gets a bit dicey. I feel like well, it should be on, on your dime. They get to choose it, and it's a it's a pretty high price. It, it should be like half your dime, you know, like a reasonable amount of dime or something. Just well, or at least, yeah, I, I, I guess I get that. And that's why you don't go on vacation. That's a dis- yeah, as I said, that's supposed to be part of the deterrent. Now, that's if you had to go for a real reason, then that sucks. But if exactly. you're just, you know, oh, I'm going to go to Jamaica for a week. Yeah, then you know what? Well, assuming you didn't plan it months in advance. So if you plan it months in advance, then I can sort of get it. But 
Okay. Come on, people. The reason is we've been in this for a while, so you shouldn't really be hopping on a plane. That's why we're forcing people to pay. But other countries that had done this before, like, for example, Australia, where they were quarantining people in hotels and stuff like that, was due to the fact that some of that was before it finally hit them in March. So they were kind of stranded, so to speak. So basically they said, okay, you guys aren't going to be paying this full thing for quarantine in a quarantine hotel before you go home. But some of them are still stranded because they have to get the flights to get them to Australia. And not all of them have gotten back, supposedly. So it's kind of crazy. I feel like the whole hotel thing should have been in place months ago. Everybody's saying that one. You would have thought so, but hey, this is how life goes, right? Everyone does yeah. it differently. <laughs> well, yeah. If it, well, if this was in place, we wouldn't have the UK variant in Canada, but here we are. Yeah, here we are. But remember that first UK variant uh, in Ontario, the person lied to them. They had to do further investigation before they realized they had been in contact with someone from the UK. So that just tells you people are nuts. And and, and they'll do whatever they feel, even though it just does not make any sense. you got to be responsible. You can't be flying mm-hmm. off the handle, which people think, oh, I, I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I want, right? Even right. though we're still in a serious predicament. Collectivism versus individualism. Yeah. Well, and you know what? And we went through this whole Canadian COVID update without talking about a couple from Vancouver. Okay. You know what we could talk about, Mike? We could talk about uh, video games. And I was laughing because remember we had talked off air about uh, the PS5 and the chaos at uh, the Tokyo retailer of Yobobashi Camera. And they were trying to sell, I think, 300 to 500 PS5s there. And it was first come, first serve. And Mm -hmm. uh, that turned into a mess of people trying to... uh, get one to say the least a lot uh, more chaotic than uh, that animal crossing uh, incident uh, way back in march for eb games in downtown toronto where it was just people in a very polite line yes well well that the polite line that's canadian <laughs> <laughs> never thought of it well i think we'll just let the video speak for itself we'll put up the link okay the the video did make me uh nostalgic for japanese stores i was never in one quite that busy but uh just the the setup was uh was kind of nicely nostalgic just sort of looking past the crowd of people into the into the distance in the video was was kind of yeah nice. well that, that that made me nostalgic for when it was safe to be in <laughs> such crushes but this was happening recently yeah during when they were as we said in tokyo in a covid uh, state of emergency so it's like what were they even thinking doing this as an in-store thing and doing it it almost looks like it was normal regardless of them having masks it's like just makes you question everything altogether but it almost looked like those stories you hear i'm not sure if jeff was on any of those uh, trains in japan where they just push them on you know what i mean that's what i was Mm -hmm. thinking Okay. I was never pushed. Last thought. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oh, never pushed. Never okay. pushed uh. the, the one thing that you didn't see in the, the video is that the, the riot part of it probably started because uh, someone offered them an Xbox Series X instead of a PS5, which, uh, <laughs> which started, started the chaos. 
And that's when they called the police because the police actually <laughs> shut them down. I'm surprised they didn't ticket them too, probably. Oh boy. Oh, okay. That's sad. Anyway. Well, from one, uh, from that to, well, uh, still a rather light story. And the last bullet we'll have, but a kind of a nice one. Yen Press has licensed Migumi Hayashibara's memoir. The characters taught me everything, living life one episode at a time. That's the title of her memoir. I didn't even know she was writing one. Kevin passed this one along. I mean, well, first of all, is there something you want to say about it, Kevin? Aside from you want to make sure I saw this. Well, I guess it's interesting just to see like how long she's lasted in this industry. I, I truth be told, don't, I don't remember a lot of her roles. I don't, I never claimed to have been a big fan of her. Uh, yes. But, you know, I've always heard her name out and about. I'm sure if I look through her name on ANN right now, which I will in a moment. I'll I think that they had a list of her major roles. Uh, and obviously in the cover that. of the memoir is a, is like a compilation of all of pictures of all her famous characters and lena inverse slayers um, um we can start to go down the list just a little bit female ranma anna from shaman is, king jesse, jesse from pokemon yeah jesse from pokemon Ray, uh, valentine uh, oh they had all the major ones paprika of course she played that yeah. uh, raya and ami raya and ami and uh and eva I, like she's had some very iconic roles and i think the cover does a good job of illustrating just the variety of of roles like for every sort of age group and and genre and target audience um mm -hmm. i think she's maybe reached more people as far as like the anime industry than a lot of other voice actors like i'm not sure if there's any that has you know branched out quite that far with that many sort of iconic roles it's it's i think it's fairly impressive yeah, it is. I, I'd say so. Um, and I, I guess there's a bias in my, on my part because I got into it in to anime in the '90s and Megumi Hashibara's heyday. She will be. She is to a lot of the older fans maybe one of the goats, one of the greatest <laughs> of all time. I don't. Uh, but I'm trying to think of who would have been considered the it Japanese voice actress of the uh, since then. So let's say of the aughts and of the last decade, who could be in that conversation? Like the one name I, that comes to mind I can think of in the aughts is Yui Hordie, the woman who played Naru in Love Hina, who and coincidentally <laughs> Megumi Hashibara was in that as well, playing, playing the aunt. Mm -hmm. And well, she was in Fruit Basket and she was in Toradora. And she's still fairly active now, but that, that's one person I can think of who could be representative of a decade in terms of voice actresses. And then the last decade, which I haven't kept up with, I'm pretty sure there are names there too. Yeah, I haven't kept up with Nana Mizuki. I, I was going to say Nana Mizuki was probably, I, I don't know about currently, yeah. but I think for the 2000s, I would have, like, I don't, I could be in there too. Yeah, I, I would say 2000s for Nana Mizuki. Yeah, I couldn't tell you a role, but I definitely have heard the name, and I don't really pay attention to names. So I think that that probably says something. Oh, yeah. You and make that prolific as a singer now, anyway. Yeah, that's the other thing. And as I said, you can, 
make a, an argument for a couple names in the aughts. And the last decade, I can't say I, I would be able to, but then again, I'm not in that note. Like, I know Panahamanzawa got pretty big, but I don't know if it was at that level. Mm-hmm. But usually but, you will know if a voice actress gets prolific enough if you don't see them voice acting in as many new shows because they would eventually price themselves out of the market, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> That's one way to put it. But yeah, uh, when, uh, what's the release date on the memoir? Memoir comes out di- digitally in both Japanese and English. It's a simultaneous release on February 20th digitally. But I think this oh. this is one of those cases for me. I'll wait for the re- for a physical copy. It will be interesting to see if we get a physical copy. Hopefully with Yen Press that'll happen because I'm thinking back that uh, J Novel Club they released uh, a small memoir from uh, Mary Okada, and that was titled From Truant to Anime Screenwriter, My Path to Anohana and the Anthem of the Heart. And that's only released digitally uh, by them. They haven't done a physical release. So mm-hmm. hopefully uh, the this one from Yen Press will come physical. But it's great we're seeing more of these different autobiographies autobiographic uh, works uh, from different creators and different people. We've seen it through um, Seven Seas and other people of just uh, normal mangaka doing uh, memoir type works and some of them start on on Twitter and then people find them and they've been released digitally and physically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's, that's the bullets. And one last thing before we go tonight and we're going to let's do the anime community calendar. We haven't done it in a little while. And there's some worthwhile things that are there now that'll probably end by the time this gets up. But we should mention it anyway. And things upcoming thing. Uh, the one thing that we know is probably going to be unavailable by the time people listen to this is the Songs of Tokyo 2020 Festival, which had been on on video on demand on NHK World's website for the last couple months. We mentioned it before. It's not as if it's not as if this is a revelation to anybody, but it's it had been running and it had been showing on on NHK World on their website and services. And I actually, knowing that it was going to expire at the end of Sunday, watched all four parts again. And I would have said really interesting thing to watch, especially with names like Baby Metal, Hina Hina Zaka Forty Six. Um, Compilations from Bangadidim and the Idol Master, right down to to messages of hope from the aforementioned Nana Mizuki. And we can go on. I can go on and on about it. Link. Uh, we did put a link in the Twitter, and maybe you can see the lineup. But for any J-pop and J-rock fans, I think the parts the Bookend parts, parts one and four would have been more your, to your liking, especially since it uh, culminated with a performance by Hotier, who is best known for the theme song from Kill Bill. And that was, uh, he performed that at the very end of it. And then parts two and four would probably be more directed towards anime fans. The, the producers really know who their target is and uh, arrange the lineup as such. So Songs of Tokyo will expire on Video On Demand, NHK World, at the end of Sunday, January 31st. Second thing I want to quickly mention, we got to go through this because we got to end off pretty soon now. 
We mentioned the Japan Film Festival Plus back in December because one of the presentations back in December when it was being shown in the U.S. was the panel between Matt Alt and Fred Schott. And that was in the shadow of a movie being shown that night about Mazinger, about the Mazinger hangar. I think I forgot the exact title. Uh, let me just quickly look that up. Uh, never mind. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I know. It's going to take me a couple seconds to find it. Yes. Uh, Project Dreams, How to Build Mazinger Z's Hangar. That, the, that, that was shown. What we, didn't know, what we didn't realize at the time was it was only being shown in the States, but Canada would be reserved for a later date. That date is coming. It'll start on February 5th. We'll put a link up. And actually, the kickoff movie for that, for the Canadian version of the Japan Film Festival Plus online festival will be Project Dreams. And you have to sign up online, and once a movie is made available, you will only have 24 hours to watch it. So there's like three movies, three, two to three little movies each day. All of them could be, all of them are interesting, and uh, obviously there'll be one or two that probably will appeal to you guys. It's free if you're in Canada and where else? Canada, Mexico, and Brazil. They're showing it for from... February 5th to 14th, we'll put the link up from the, uh, from the Japan Foundation Toronto website and probably the direct link into the festival itself. From the Japan Foundation Toronto to the Japan Foundation New York, as mentioned before, there has been an ongoing series, Academic Perspectives on... Japanese pop culture. They had been doing a series since September. Already four parts had been done. They had talked about uh, they had talked about Eva and Ghost in the Shell and identity crises depicted in that. They had talked about music and anime. In in part four of their series, they talked about Satoshi Kon and his legacy, and they were doing this through academic and professional perspectives. They just did one this week, and it was on Sailor Moon. To celebrate the 30th anniversary of the uh, manga, or 30 years uh, since the manga came out, or something to that effect. So they talked with translators and other journalists about Sailor Moon's impact over the years. We'll put up the YouTube video of the presentation. It was a two-hour-long presentation, and we would also suggest to subscribe to the Japan Foundation New York's YouTube page if only because you'll be able to find get access to the past past editions of the academics and Japanese pop culture series. The last item on the list, and then we'll uh, call it a night, was only made known to us within the last couple hours, and James was the one who discovered it. James. Yes, uh, Discotech. Uh, media on their uh, Twitter feed uh, announced earlier this evening on uh, January 30th that uh, next weekend on Saturday, February the 6th at uh, 9 p.m. Pacific time, sorry, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time on their Twitch channel, they're going to do the dub world premiere of Memories. And that one is the one that Justin Savakis, I know, is helping produce that. And they said in their second uh, 
panel, online panel that they were going to announce later when they were going to do something like that on their Twitch channel. So that'll be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. So there it is. Uh, well, Discotech had been hyping it, and well, we'll find out what the hype is about next Saturday. We'll put a link up in the notes, and we'll probably uh, we'll probably retweet uh, Discotech's tweet as well. And I think that's about it. You guys have anything to add? Since uh, we had to rush, uh, we pretty much had to rush through the uh, calendar. Oh, well, one quick thing here. Mm-hmm. And uh, keep it short, otherwise we're going over two hours for sure. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, so Kodansha USA uh, made another slew of new manga licenses, and yet only one of them is getting a physical print. And, uh, you know, as a physical collector, it's just... It, it, I really just don't like how like a lot of these new licenses from Kodansha are just not getting printed. It's always the, they always dangle the carrot of saying, you know, if, if the digital only release does well, then we may consider doing a print release. But man, like I just don't like buying digital only releases unless it's dirt ass cheap. Like I'd rather just own a book. And very few of those digital releases have made it to print or had that duo release off the bat. Haven't they done that for a number of years? Like when they had, uh, because they're now combined now in New York, but remember they were separate entities like Kodansha Digital in San Francisco and then Kodansha USA in New York and stuff like mm. that. They were doing the exact same thing where a lot of stuff seemed to be digital first and then if it did well enough, they'd have the physical release. And then a lot of the physical releases that were announced were just a lot of bigger properties that you knew would probably have gotten them anyway. Yeah. Well, it's, it's as I said, it's just a sign of the times, I suppose. But I get it. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're all kind of old school in the sense, even me, and I tend to be, you know, I... I come okay with with a lot of aspects of digital except maybe the recording <laughs> but you know shaking off the the physical media side of me is proving you know a little harder too but i get where you're coming from kevin like if i'm reading digital i prefer doing subscriptions like i'll admit i bought into a couple of those humble bundles because i really don't think we'll ever see space brothers in print and I don't think Kasane would have ever been printed at this point. So yeah, the longer those. But granted, it was at such an affordable price. Plus, some of it was going to charity that I made those exceptions. Well, that's where we are. Okay, uh, but I, I, as I said, I, re I respect the frustration. Yeah. All right. There. That's about it. I, I guess. You know, nice to do a weekly episode. Let's see what we can. Uh, Let's see what version comes out in the uh, first part, and uh, we'll leave it up to the uh, listeners to figure out which version it like is. Choose your own adventure. Well, they'll they'll be similar. Trust me. I thought we were leaving it up to the podcasting gods. Well, that too. Uh, we'll talk to. I'll uh, send an email to Zencaster in the morning. <laughs> And that's all we got for this episode. Once again, if you like what you heard, we'd love to hear from you. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable on Twitter and Instagram, 
AnimeRoundtable.com is our website. If this is up on YouTube... Oh, wait. It won't be. Uh, but... If it's up on YouTube, like and subscribe and yeah. smash please that button. Yeah, smash that button. Please like and subscribe. And of course, please do the same and subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. So you can be notified whenever we put up new recordings. And it really helps us out, too. We do episodes for the most part bi-weekly, but we might for the next little while, as the pandemic continues, go weekly. Who knows? Uh, as soon as we can get the bugs figured out. Until next time, good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Routine. How do you think uh, that went? You're still recording.